And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in. Whether that be live over at Joy 620 or iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean, wherever podcasts are found, you can find this show again. Once again, we have a lot to talk about. This past week, I had the privilege of going to Virginia and speaking at a pregnancy center event there in Chesterfield, Virginia. A great night, Pregnancy Help Center of Chesterfield. Uh, just had a great time with them, met some folks, and, and uh, just was able to celebrate the work at pregnancy centers. And, uh, and, and even there, I was having conversations with folks because obviously in Virginia, you're, you're close to D.C., but also Virginia politics are an interesting thing, and, and the midterms are coming up. So people were coming up and asking me, well, what about, what are, you, what are your thoughts on the midterms, and how do you think those things are going to go? And, and we'll get into that a little bit here, but, uh, but there's a, a few things that I want to discuss today uh, dealing with the midterms, obviously because they are right around the corner and, and what we think may happen in uh, Washington, what we may think happen in different states around the Union. But, but I, I think it's interesting as we look at what happened back in June. So, so you'll remember in May we had the leak of the uh, Dobbs decision. And obviously, we all hoped that the leak was the the right thing, and and it ended up June 24th, we found out the Supreme Court did, in fact, overturn Roe v. Wade. And the leak decision by Alito was the the decision that came out on June 24th. Now, if if you'll think about what's happened politically, and and if you've been paying attention, Democrats and, and believed that, hey, June 24th was going to be the moment. It was going to be the moment that put all the momentum back in the hands of the Democratic Party for the midterms. So if you'll remember, leading up to that, Republicans had a slight lead looking at any midterm uh, predictions. It, it appeared as if the Republicans were going to take the House in November. It appeared that they had a chance at taking the Senate, but you know it would, it would still be close. But at the very least, they were going to take the House in the Senate, it appeared that some governor, governor candidates around the country uh, were doing well, uh, GOP governor candidates. Then you come in and, and Roe is overturned. And what did you hear on cable news outlets and local outlets? And, hey, this was the momentum change that we needed. You, you heard uh, Democratic politicians come out everywhere. You know, we're going to win the midterms because people want Roe codified and they, they, they want abortion on demand. And uh, the Republicans have uh, gone too far. They got out in front of their skis. They jumped the shark. And then you saw what happened in Kansas. Kansas had a special election, uh, and, or, or, and they, they put an amendment out there, and, and many pro-lifers thought that, that they would get a constitutional amendment saying that, that abortion was not a state right in the state of Kansas, and it went the, it went the other direction. So, again, it was another thing that was feeding the, the narrative that, hey, the overturning of Roe is going to be bad for Republicans. Now, I've been watching this and saying I, I don't think that that's going to be the case. Now, a couple of weeks after Roe's overturned, you did see a, a swing a bit in <clears throat> in polling. Now, the question is, how much can you trust those polling, uh, that, that polling? I, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't want to say that all polling is bad. Uh, it, it, polling, after all, is just making predictions and trying to get a, a gauge. You know, I, I talked to my dad and my dad's like, I never get called for a poll. Uh, and, and how many people do get called for a poll? Now people don't have landlines and they're not taking spam calls. And so I don't know how, how scientific that method is. But we watch the polls and we look at the RCP average and we look at 
the, the average of all the polls together, and we get a sense for what we may see in the next election. For political nerds like me, it's fun to watch. It's fun to, to kind of guess and see what's going to happen and make predictions of our own and, and then see what happens on election night. But, but it is interesting. There was RCP generic ballot polling. Uh, and what that simply is, is that is an average of, it's a polling of all the other polls. So it takes an average of all the polls that are out there and it, then it produces a number. And, and so for people saying, that, oh, Dobbs being, Dobbs, the Dobbs case and Roe being overturned was going to mean a big win for Democrats in November. Listen to this. So pre-Dobbs decision, this is the RCP generic ballot polling average. Pre-Dobbs decision. So this means Roe was still in place. Roe was the law of the land. We don't have the leak and we don't have the court decision from, uh, from the Supreme Court that we got in June. Pre-Dobbs, Republicans had a lead in the RCP generic ballot polling average, 44.3% to Democrats, 41.5%. That's a plus 2.8 for Republicans. That's pre-Dobbs, right? So that's Roe is still the law of the land. Abortion is still the law of the land. You can still get abortions everywhere in the union. That's where we're at. So pre-Dobbs, Republicans had a lead, even though it was slight, 2.8, 44.3% to 41 0.5% today. Today. So this is after Roe's been overturned. This is after all the hoopla about abortion and, and you know, the Republicans are backwards and pro-lifers are backwards. And this is after arrests being made of, of pro-life activists all across the country. This is after pregnancy centers and pro-life organizations being attacked by abortion proponents, physically attacked. This is after Google and Yelp and Big Tech has censored and, and gone after pregnancy centers. This is after the, the Biden administration put together, now, now listen to this, put together a task force to enforce the FACE Act against pro-lifers. Yeah, you heard that right. They put together a task force to target pro-lifers that would dare stand outside of abortion clinics. And then that task force, what did it do? It produced. They've now arrested people. So pre-Dobbs, you had Republicans ahead by about 2.8. Today, post-Dobbs, Roe overturned. Abortion, the decision of abortion, now back to states. Some states like Tennessee have outlawed it. 26 states in the union have put restrictions on abortions. And what is the number? Post-Dobbs, Republicans with a lead, 48.1% to Democrats, 44.8%. That's a plus 3.3 in favor of Republicans. So pre-Dobbs, 44.3% to 41.5. Today, Republicans, 48.1%. Democrats, 44.8. Now, why do you think that is? Why do you think that the swing didn't happen the way we were told it was going to happen. Why do you think that even post-Dobbs, Republicans are still leading? And, and, and for all intents and purposes, that means pro-lifers versus pro-abortion, okay? So why do you think that is? 
Well, there's a number of factors in that. It, it isn't because now, now I would love to say it's because we live in a country that is vastly pro-life and believes life begins at conception, and that is why. I don't, I don't think that's why pro-lifers are still winning in the numbers. Here's why I think the momentum has stayed and grown with the conservative movement, with the pro-life movement. The reason that we are still seeing that and we're seeing it grow even more is because there's a couple of things. Inflation is probably the biggest thing. Everywhere you go, things are higher. Look, I was traveling this past week, and from Knoxville to Virginia, there's not a lot of opportunities for, for food stops right off the, the interstate. And I don't eat, I don't, I used to frequent McDonald's multiple times a week. I don't, my life has changed. I don't do that, but I was hungry and I needed something to eat and I pulled into a McDonald's. And for a quote unquote value meal, it was over $10. And I looked at that price and was like, you gotta be kidding me. But that's inflation. Gas prices. I mean, we're, in the in the grand scheme here in Tennessee, we're we're pretty low compared to the nation, but still you're looking at three nineteen to three forty five, depending on where you're at. So inflation, gas prices are up. Those are two of the big things, and we don't see any end in sight. The administration has changed the definition of what a rece- recession is, so they're still claiming that we're not in a recession, even though. It is very clear that, that I think we are. Interest rates on homes are now up to, in some places, 7% interest rate. So the, the market has cooled a bit. Values of homes have still stayed pretty consistent, but the interest rates have gone up, so the market has cooled a bit. But it's not just, it's not just inflation. It's not just gas prices. It's not just the, the cost of, of living, but it's also what they've, what they've said and what they've been doing with our kids. So we have seen report after report, not from mainstream outlets, but we've received and seen reports out of Boston, Boston's Children's Hospital, Vanderbilt University, Vanderbilt Hospital, where they're performing Surgeries on minors, double mastectomies, castration on minors, because they, they claim they, they have a gender dysphoria. So as the, as the world looks at this contagion that we're seeing when it comes to the trans movement, as the world looks at it, the world is starting to say, hey, hey we need to pull back on this. We might have overcorrected when we, when we got into the line of affirmative care, meaning if you sit down with a therapist and, and you are a, a biological female and you say, I, I, def, I uh, identify as a male, that the therapist is just to affirm that. Now the world, not America, but the world is saying, hey, maybe we went too, too far here. We need to pull back. We're doing a lot of damage. Puberty blockers are doing damage to our young people. But yet, in our country, we've seen folks go all in. We've seen videos on websites celebrating the fact that they're 
performing these surgeries on minors. We've heard uh, recorded phone calls where they're coaching and, and telling people that they can provide these services. We've seen secret recordings of, of conferences where, where folks are saying this is a big money maker. Top and bottom surgeries are big money makers because there's a lot of follow-up care. You're seeing that. You're also seeing in some places around the country where they're trying to, like in Virginia, there was a piece of legislation saying that if if you don't affirm your child's gender identity, so if you had a biological female, your daughter says that she identifies as a boy and you don't affirm that, in the state of Virginia, you have a legislator saying we should be able to investigate you and possibly remove the child from your home. We have places in Michigan that are trying to promote a proposal in the Constitution, the state Constitution there, that would allow for abortion all the way up to nine months, but it also will allow for puberty blockers and such for minors. It would also allow for the school system to not tell the parents what pronouns they're using on their kids while they're in their care at school. And the list goes on and on. I could go on for this. For hours. And so what we're seeing in the numbers now play out is you're seeing parents saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, that, that's not what we want. You're seeing, you see, you see patients or, or parents are saying, yeah, inflation is, is one thing, jobs are one thing, gas prices are one thing, but leave my kids alone. And for many parents, they don't have another option. Because a lot of these areas around the country, they don't have school choice. So your tax dollars can't follow your kid. So you, you are at the mercy of the school system that's in your area. And you're, you're sending your kids to school on the bus. And then they may or may not be using different pronouns once they are at school. And then the school system is saying we don't tell parents one way or the other. And then you, you, you add on to that drag queen story hour and, and the things that are happening and performances that are occurring in our country and parents are upset. That's why post Dobbs, you're not seeing the momentum that, that many thought you were going to see because it's not that, that our country is overtly pro-life. It's just, they're saying abortion is not top of mind for me when I, when I vote now it is for me, but it isn't for a lot of voters. And these voters are saying, regardless of what's happening with abortion, I have a child now, and I care about that child. And the decisions that are being made in our communities and in our states and in Washington concerning my child, that's a problem, and I want somebody to go in and change it. That's why we're seeing what we're seeing in these polls. But it's not just that. We're, we're, we're really close to the midterm elections. And when we come back, I'm going to give you some closing arguments from Stacey Abrams, who's running for governor in the state of Georgia. And what she said is the answer to inflation. We'll be back. So as we continue to look at what's going on in our country, midterms are coming up. So over the last few weeks, I've spent a, a great deal of time talking about the election And the reason is because there's a lot going on around our country concerning abortion, concerning life. State constitutions are seeking to be changed. Uh, So we're seeing a number of things play out, and so it's important that we talk about those. But right now what I want to talk about is 
Stacey Abrams, who still believes she won the governorship a few years back. Brian Kemp is the governor of Georgia, but Stacey Abrams is an election denier. So she said that for the longest that she did, she actually won. The election was stolen from her. She also said a lot of the, the voting rules put in place by the legislature there in Georgia uh, were going to be uh, amount to voter suppression. You remember the, the Major League Baseball pulling the All-Star game from Atlanta because of voter suppression? And, and do you know what's happened in the last couple of weeks? They broke records in the amount of early voting in the state of Georgia. So they would have you believe that, that the, the laws put in place in the state of Georgia were going to suppress the vote, and in reality it did the opposite. It allowed for more voting. But yet they keep saying what they're saying and, and keep throwing that out. Even Stacey Abrams came out the other day and said, yeah, I know we broke records, but that just shows that what we said is true. So, you know, explain that to me. But Stacey Abrams also said that the, the, the sound of a heartbeat via an ultrasound is a manufactured sound created by white men to make you think that there's a heartbeat happening in the womb. So she is pro-abortion all the way up to nine months. She wants abortion on demand for any reason, not just in the state of Georgia, but around the country. But then this, this past weekend, she went even further. And, and, and she has said a lot of nonsensical, crazy things. But this one might just take the cake. This is over at Washington Examiner. Stacey Abrams is running for governor of Georgia, mostly on the grounds of abortion. While abortion is an issue, I would assume it nowhere reaches the level of interest for voters of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that, Mike Barnacle on MSNBC said to Abrams. Now think about this. What's happening here is an interviewer on MSNBC is trying to, to throw a, a lob to Stacey Abrams. Hey, you have a chance here. You're, you're down in the polls. So I'm just giving you context. Stacey Abrams down in the polls by like 10 points to, to Brian Kemp the incumbent governor. And so you have Mike Barnacle trying to give her a softball to say, hey, look, gas, inflation, bread, milk, the cost of things like that. Like for for many voters, that's a bigger deal than abortion. So take it away. Talk about how you're going to fix those things in the state of Georgia. So, So Mike Barnacle says, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with. Again, that's a softball. As a, as a political candidate, that's what you want from an interviewer. You want someone to ask you, how are you going to make the lives of Georgians better? That's, I mean, if you're in the state of Georgia, that's what you want. You want an interviewer to say, how are you going to make the lives of your constituents better? So here's your chance. You're running for governor. Surely you've thought about this. How, how are you going to make the lives of your neighbors better in the state that you call home? If you're the chief executive of that state, what are you going to do to make the lives of these citizens better? And then here's what Abrams did. She went back to abortion. She said, let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're worried about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. So Stacey Abrams' answer to inflation, answer to gas prices, 
going up. Answer to food costs going up. Answer to those daily, hourly, livable experiences of the constituents of Georgia. Her answer is you need to have more abortions. You're only nervous and concerned about it because you have kids. That is her answer. She acts as if everyone in the state of Georgia that's ever had a kid did so because they were forced to have their child. You know, inflation was here before Dobbs was overturned. And you can still get abortions in Georgia. It's not as if you can't. So she's just talking nonsense. The article goes further. Chew on this answer for a moment. The surface layer of Abrams' answer is that inflation shouldn't matter so much. The skyrocketing of prices is something that people ought to be able to shrug off. Why, why can't people shrug it off as easily as Stacey Abrams would like? Because of abortion laws, she says. How do laws protecting unborn babies with heartbeats make inflation more painful? Because the result, they result in people having families, and feeding a family is more expensive than feeding yourself. This argument is perverse in many ways. For starters, Abrams is advocating abortion as birth control. Again, for the longest time, we were told abortion was not birth control. We were told that abortions need to be safe, legal, and what's the magic word? Rare. But now Stacey Abrams is saying your life will be better if you can just, you know, end the pregnancy. She is also advocating abortion as counterinflationary measure. Bread prices doubled in 24 months. No big deal. Just abort little Emma and your budget can stay on track. But Abrams isn't just talking about abortion. She's talking about reproduction in general. Listen to what she said. Quote, having children is why you're worried about your price for gas, she stated. She would hate the Wood family. We didn't just have one child. We had four. Four. And we drive a church van that gets terrible gas mileage. Set aside for a minute the assertion that childless people aren't worried about the price of gas. And think about what she's saying here. The way to weather economic hardship is to have no children. That's her argument. So Abram's case was broader than simply a materialistic defense of abortion. She was arguing against having children. Stay childless, and you can stomach any economic turbulence that may come your way. This is quite the apologia for a party that has exasperated inflation through its reckless runaway spending and anti-energy policies. You wouldn't be so harmed by our policies had you just kept your pants on and your life solitary. Is that where we are, folks? That we have political candidates going on national television. Now, granted, not many people are watching MSNBC, but people are seeing the clips on Twitter and YouTube and Facebook. Radio guys are talking about it across the country. But is that where we are, where a political candidate like Stacey Abrams can get on national television and say, you're only worried about inflation. You're only worried about the cost of gas because you have children. Is that who you want being the chief executive of your state? The same woman that a few weeks ago said that a heartbeat is manufactured sound by white men. That was her. And there were people on the stage with her when she said that, nodding their head in agreement. Nonsense, folks. Absolute, utter nonsense. 
And here you have an MSNBC interviewer simply trying to give her something. Because he knows, just like all of us know, she's going to lose big in Georgia. He knows, like all of us know, she has no way of winning the governorship in the state of Georgia. So he's trying to help her. Hey, you know, we're, we're last couple of weeks before the election. People are really concerned about the cost of living. People are really concerned about inflation. People are really concerned about everyday costs like the cost of bread, of milk, of gas. What are you going to do to make to ease those concerns as governor? Again, that's a softball. Simple answer. Here's a simple answer. Even look, I, I'm conservative. I would never counsel a politician like Stacey Abrams, but here's what they could say. We understand the hardship that, that Georgians are facing. And we understand that they're seeing those hardships day in and day out, and it looks as if there's no end in sight. But I can assure you this, I'm feeling those hardships as well. And I'm going to do everything I can to make their lives better. I'm going to do everything I can to make Georgia the greatest state in the union. We're going to fund our schools. We're going to fund child care. We're going to fund... I mean, they could go on and on and on. And even if it sounded like they were skirting the issue, it would at least show compassion. Instead, Stacey Abrams says, you know, if you didn't have children, you wouldn't be worried about this. You could just go live your life. But you had children and that's on you. We'll be back. So as we continue the conversation today, I came across this document. I mean, I could go on and on about Stacey Abrams and, and others, uh, but I'll, I'll not do that uh, tonight. But I came across this document that Matt Walsh tweeted out uh, a couple of days ago. And it was an interesting document because it, it really points to that this document was put in place in 1967. It was put together in 1967. And you fast forward to 2022 and you're like, wow, they, they really kind of knocked it out of the park with this one. Not in a good way. But, but you read through this document that, that, was, uh, that was produced, okay, in 1969. Planned Parenthood produced a memo recommending strategies for population control. They include restructuring the family and a number of other things. But look at... Let me read this to you, and then you think about where we are in 2022. So the, the document says, proposed, proposed measures to reduce fertility by universality or selectivity of impact in the U.S. Here's the universal impact, social constraints. This is what the document says. Restructure family. A, postpone or avoid marriage. B, alter image of ideal family size. Have they done that? Are you looked at as weird for having a big family? Yeah, you are. Compulsory education, uh, compulsory education of children. Encourage increased homosexuality. Have they done that? Educate for family limitation. Have they done that? Yeah, they're, they're telling you right now, have less kids. Depopulation is the goal. The climate is going, the earth is going to explode if we keep having babies. We need abortion on demand. You just heard Stacey Abrams say abortion is birth control. It'll fix inflation. It'll take all your worries away. 
And then it says, encourage women to work. So again, the goal here was to completely restructure the family. Educate for family limitation. Economic deterrence, incentives. Listen to this. Modify tax policies. Substantial marriage tax. So if you get married, you should get more tax. Child tax. You need to be taxed for having children. Tax married more than single. Remove parents tax exemption. Additional taxes on parents with more than one or two children in school. Again, if you have bigger families, you should be taxed more. That is their argument, which would incentivize you to not have as many kids. Reduce, eliminate paid maternity leave or benefits. Reduce, eliminate children's or family allowances. Bonuses for delayed marriage and greater child spacing. So if you wait longer to get married, you'll get a bonus. You'll be incentivized to do that. If you space out your children, you'll be incentivized. Now, why would you space out your children? Because their hope is in spacing them out, you'll have less children. Pension for women of 45 with less than a certain amount of children. Eliminate welfare payments after first two children. Chronic depression. Require women to work and provide few child care facilities. Limit, eliminate publicly financed medical care, scholarships, housing loans, and subsidies to families that have a certain amount of children. Social controls. Compulsory abortion of -of out-of-wedlock pregnancies, meaning have more abortions. Sterilization of all who have two children except for a few who would be allowed three. That's what they want, folks. You know, China did the one-child policy and then moved it to two-child. That's the goal. Depopulation. Confined childbearing to only a limited number of adults. Stock certificate-type permits for children. Housing policies. Discouragement of private home ownership. Stop awarding public housing based on family size. So everything about this document is to penalize those that would dare have families. Measures predicted on existing motivation to prevent unwanted pregnancy. Payments to encourage sterilization. Payments to encourage contraception. Payments to encourage abortion. Abortion and sterilization on demand. Allow harmless contraceptives to be distributed non-medically. We're there. Improve contraceptive technology. Make contraception truly available and accessible. Improve maternal health care with family planning, a core element. So do you think we've gotten there? We, we are in a moment in 2022 where we're re- re- redefining everything. We're redefining marriage. Our president, the president of the United States of America, just sat down with a man that believes he's a woman and was interviewed. We have a man dressed as a woman interviewing our president and our president saying in that conversation that he doesn't think any state should be able to ban puberty blockers. That he doesn't think any state should be able to step in and protect its children and families. We we live in a time where we're being told having big families is bad. Having children is bad. We need more abortions. 
We're living in a time now where where our administration, our president and his administration is saying that we are going to, in the military, allow for soldiers to go get abortions in other states if the state they live in does not allow for abortion. But but I'm the extreme one. Look, I told you a few weeks ago that that Roe being overturned was going to finally give us an opportunity to debate this issue. You see, when, when Roe was put into place, it gave a cop-out for a lot of people. They didn't have to argue why they believed abortion was okay. They simply could say it's a woman's right, it's the law of the land, and then they would stop talking about it. Well, as I talked about on last week's show, now we're at a place where they have to defend it, and they can't. Stacey Abrams is out there thinking that there's people that agree with her. There's very few people that agree with her. Because even the most ardent pro-abortion supporters have family members that have babies, have nieces and nephews, have their own children. The most ardent abortion supporters still have to look around and go, man, that baby is so cute. I love that family. So they're at this weird place where they say, we need to have less kids. We need to have smaller families. The value of life needs to be taken down a notch. And then they have to then look around them and say, but I do think we need to fund education because we need to take care of the future and the kids are the future. Oh, well, that makes it difficult now. Oh, we need to have better working environments for people. We need to have more maternity leave and more paternity leave. But, but it's hard to say that and make that argument when I'm also saying we need to have more abortion. You see, you can't play both of those narratives, but yet they're trying, and that's why they're losing. Because now they're, they're being faced with actually defending where they stand. Now they're being faced with interviewers even saying, so you don't believe there should be any restrictions? You're actually hearing people ask the president that. You're hearing people in Pennsylvania ask Fetterman, you don't think there should be any restrictions? And when they say no, and they have to defend their position, they look barbaric, as we talked about last week. So we have a moment, finally, where we're actually having dialogue on this. And, and when we see things like this document from the 60s, they put this document together and then they followed it. They followed it. They are pushing the things that they said. They're pushing having less kids. They're pushing the deconstruction of the traditional family. They're pushing homosexuality. They're pushing trans the trans movement. They're pushing all the identities that you could ever imagine and even a bunch that you couldn't imagine. They're pushing all of that. If you would have asked somebody 10 years ago, do you think a man dressed as a woman would be able to sit down with our president and interview him about these issues? You would have been said, no, that, that would have to be like a late night show. They wouldn't actually sit down with somebody and take them serious in that moment but that's where we are in 2022 so the reason i bring these things up is because we have to understand what our culture is doing 
And so when we look at our culture and we look at the, the desire to see smaller families, the desire to see less babies be born, it's not just saying, hey, you know, take a break. It's saying, no, if you get pregnant, just have an abortion. It's okay. It's birth control. They're making that move. We were watching the other night on Hulu, Home Improvement, Good Family Fun from the 90s. And what commercial comes on every commercial, every other commercial break? Plan B, emergency contraception. That's the commercial that keeps being thrown out at us. Because what are, here's the interesting thing. They know that people that are watching Home Improvement probably are families from the 90s because it's nostalgic for us. So we have our kids in the room with us watching this show. And somewhere in a conference room, these folks got together and thought, you know what would be a great ad to show that family that's watching Home Improvement? Emergency contraception plan B. Because those families are probably too big anyway. You see, there's a strategy behind what they're doing. And so whether it's the government saying we're going to pay for the abortions of our soldiers, or it's municipalities saying we're going to pay for abortions of our employees, or businesses saying we're going to pay to fly our employees to get abortions in states that allow them or it's a governor candidate from georgia saying you know if you could just have more abortions and if you just wouldn't have had those children you wouldn't be worried about inflation and the price of bread at the store the narrative is clear and they have shown where they stand and it's our time to show where we stand that life has intrinsic value we'll be back So as we finish up today, look, there's a lot going on around our country. The midterms are coming up. A lot of focus is being put on that. Uh, you know, we're at an interesting time where a lot of people, a lot more than, than in the past, care about elections. And, and you know, either they're, they're listening to podcasts or radio shows or watching, uh, whether it be mainstream media outlets or um, kind of underground. You know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of different streaming apps and, and you know, conservative and, and left-leaning that, that are getting news and information out to people. And it seems as if, because we're so connected via social media, it seems as if more people than in the past are, are caring more about what's happening around them. So more people are educated on, on what's being said. You know, in the past, I would say, did you hear what Stacey Abrams said? And a lot of people would go, I don't, I don't even know who that is. But now if I bring that up, a lot of people nod their head and they finish they finish my, my sentence and they know what I'm about to say. And so because of that, we're a lot more in tune with what's happening. And, and I don't think some of these uh, candidates are prepared for that. They think they can just kind of get along, go along to get along. And, and the reality is what's happening is you're seeing more and more angst. And, and you're seeing a number of folks saying, look, abortion is one thing, but that's not at the top of my mind. What's at the top of my mind right now is the gas prices. What's at the top of my mind is how I'm going to heat my house this winter as we see increases come. What's at the top of my mind is, is what's being taught to my kids at, at my school. What's being done and being told to my kids? What is the school board allowing? What, what's happening here? What, and, and some of us are going, man, we, we have a great school system. 
Our school board is doing the right thing. Our superintendent is doing the right thing. The teachers in our school are doing the right thing, and that's great. Then you have some others going, I don't have a clue what's happening inside those schools. And so there's a lot of uneasiness. There's a lot of angst. There's a lot of uh, of scary moments of people just not really knowing what's happening. Here's what I would caution you. I do think we're going to see a flip of the House and the Senate. I think we're going to see a number of races that were close uh, end up being big victories for like Kerry Lake in Arizona, Herschel Walker in Georgia. DeSantis is going to run away with the governorship in Florida. I think Oz is going to beat Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Tudor Dixon may, in fact, beat Whitmer in Michigan. But regardless of what happens there or regardless of who ends up going to Washington as a senator or as a congressman, our hope is not placed in those folks. We encourage them. We pray for them. We vote for them. Or in some cases, vote against them. We hold their feet to the fire. We hold them accountable. But our, our final hope is not placed in that. A lot of people are voting inspirationally, aspirationally. So they're, they're, they haven't been linked to a certain party for decades. They don't just wake up on election day and go, I vote Republican or I vote Democrat. These are folks that are like, I don't, you know, I vote different each time, depending on what's happening. But many folks this year, parents and, and others, are, are, are saying, I'm going to vote in the hopes that these candidates do what, they're say, what they say they're going to do. So the question is, we can vote and we can see the House and Senate flip and we can see governor, governorships flip and we can see legislature, legislators uh, and legislatures around the country flip. We can see all that happen, but the question is, are they going to do what they said they were going to do? And we don't know the answer to that. But we don't get super engaged up to Election Day and then, you know, take our foot off the gas after Election Day. We don't get super engaged for almost 50 years to see Roe overturned and then take our foot off the gas after Roe is overturned. No, we, we keep at it. You know, sometimes you win big. And then you just take a deep breath and sit back. And that's when bad things happen. This past Saturday, University of Tennessee played UT Martin after a giant victory against Alabama. And the game started off 7-7. to and, and somebody tweeted, yep, here's the, they're, they're hungover. They got up too big for that Alabama game, and now they're not going to play well. And then we went on to score 65 points. But why would somebody make that comment? Because you often see that in big games. You win a big game and then you either lose the next game or at the very least you, you fight and struggle through that next one. Why? Because the, the game before took so much of your focus. So we wanted to see Roe overturn. We spent decades seeing that happen. That doesn't mean we just sit back and do nothing after it is overturned. We want to see midterms go a certain way. We get engaged and involved up to midterms. It doesn't mean we sit back after it happens. We stay engaged. Keep your foot on the gas. Do the work. Pray for your leaders. Get involved. And we're going to see life change occur. We'll talk to you next week.